0: Welcome to the Seahawks Man-to-Man Podcast. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the Tweet Machine. Follow me at Mike
1: Dugar, the guy with the blue check next to his name. Chris, talk to him. What is up, everybody? It's your boy Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at c k i d d two zero six and that c two zero six. Special
0: guest with us today got a lot of good things to talk about. We have the homie Sam Gold uh, does a bunch of good film studies for us on the Athletic. Uh, make sure you check out all his film studies. Most recently, the ones I enjoyed were on L. J. Collier, Seattle's first round pick. And uh, also on D.K. Metcalf, uh, Seattle superstar stud wide receiver with, who looks great with his shirt off. Uh, Sam, what up, man? How are you guys doing? Uh, it's great to be on, guys. Uh, we're, we're good. We're good. Uh, I know I just mentioned the, the your film study work, but I want to jump in with what's probably the, the biggest news for, of the Seahawks offseason, to be honest, is that Doug Baldwin, uh, along with Cam Chancellor, but we knew that would happen. Doug has been released with a failed physical designation. That's probably the end of Doug's football career. We know it's the end of Doug's Seahawks career. It is very sad. I have a hard time dealing with it. Uh, I came to terms with it during the draft, but I think, Sam, you had a tweet that had, like, the depth chart on offense, and it didn't have Doug in it, and I did want to cry, man. Yeah, it was, uh, it was it was hard tweeting
2: that out and not including him, considering how much impact he's been making over the past few years.
0: Yeah, he's just so, so important, man. What I wanted to ask Actually, you obviously you watch all the games, you watch, you watch the film. Why you know, the games that they didn't have Doug last year, I think back half of the Denver game, the whole Chicago game, the entire Dallas game, and the entire Minnesota game, you know, just why did the passing offense look just so bad uh without Doug on the field?
2: Uh it, it all comes to the ability to beating man to man coverage. If you're gonna if you're gonna <clears throat> if we're gonna play the Seahawks And if they're not going to use motions and as much as other teams like the Rams, and that's a a shoddy decision, I guess. If they're not going to use, you know, like bunch formations, which they do occasionally, but I think they can use more. Um, Basically, it kind of comes down to a predictable ability to be able to beat their wide receivers in man-to-man coverage. The, the The great part about Doug Baldwin was that yes, he can he can win in the seam. Yes, he can win on zones and find space because he's just a very smart cerebral type guy. But the thing was that he was so good at it was beating man-to-man coverage. I mean, any time a defense played, like, cover zero, which is, you know, your base, all-man coverage, no safety help. I mean, Doug Baldwin's going for six. It's, it was it was like clockwork. And it's being able to beat one-on-one is what makes defenses have to shift the zone, have to switch their coverages around. And that's the thing is that if, if you don't have a guy like that, then it's you don't need to shift off of man-to-man coverage. All you have to do is just w- make sure Tyler Lockett is covered. Then you just got to make sure, like, either covered or double-covered. And then who else is going to win? Do you have, like, drawn Brown? Do you have Malik Turner? You know, David Moore? Like, who's, who's going to be consistently winning outside or even in the slot, um, you know, with, with without somebody like a Doug Baldwin on the team?
0: Now, the games that I just mentioned that they uh, they didn't have Doug, I think, what, they won two of them? They beat Minnesota, uh, beat the Cowboys, and then lost to Denver, and then lost to uh, the Bears. And they struggled in those games to throw in the ball, at least you know by the standards that they had in the other games. You know, Do you think it will continue to be a struggle now in 2019 when there's just no Doug at all?
2: I think they can make up for it if DK Metcalf is as good as advertised. Um, especially with beating press coverage. Um, but I, I I think it's gonna be a little bit on the difficult side because it's again, like it's when you have such a talented wide receiver, I mean it's you're taking you're taking there's definitely a, a step back in your ability to create. And that's just they're just gonna have to make up for it in other ways. And my my hope, more motions, my hope is more basically more bunch sets where free releases are king. You know, basically anything that you can Assist these wide receivers that need a little bit of build-up speed in, in order to get that clean separation. Like like DK can win immediately off the line of scrimmage, but it, But if you're gonna play, you know, a little bit of mirror technique, to kind of as he rounds the corner or bail, you know, like while he can, while he can win on that, it's it's he he needs to he needs to prove on other routes that you you're not just gonna run
0: goes. I want to dive into DK a little bit, but I got one more one more question about another receiver on the team, Tyler. Like he had a great year, he had the best year of his career last year, and I'm wondering how how will he be affected without Doug? Like is he gonna is this a year like Tyler like steps up and becomes like true, true number one, or is you think he maybe takes a step back because, you know, there's no one else to take attention from the defense now? It's
2: a great question. I mean, I just think that in this offense with how uh I just think that in this offense, with how much they spread around the ball, and the fact that they would have the lowest <laughs> passing attempts in the league, I, I, I feel like, I mean, I I feel like we're seeing his, we're seeing his his relative ceiling. I feel like, and that's not a Tyler Lockett uh, like this or anything like that. That's just a fact of limited targets, uh, limited opportunity limited opportunities, even without Doug, and it's just it's just a fact of this offense. I mean, it's. A, gr- a great year for a Seahawks wide receiver is a thousand yards. Like a great year for like a Falcons receiver or like a Patriots receiver. Or, you know, one of these other uh, or the Chiefs or something. That's like thirteen hundred yards. It's all relative, but it's it's just the fact that I think I think we saw the max that I predict for Tyler Lockett, and this season was phenomenal. I never saw it coming, and man, he crushed
1: all my expectations. Got it. I do want to. We we did mention DK a little bit. His role at Ole Miss was very limited, and we saw in your piece, you actually discussed a little bit about that and his role in route running. What do you think – how do you think the Seahawks will attempt to use him differently? What do you see?
2: It's a good question. Um, As I said – as I basically broke down in my piece, uh, the main routes that he ran were basically – it was a combination of goes, screens, comebacks, and some hitches where he basically sat underneath off-man coverage. Um, and I, 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 think they can open it up more. I, th- I think he's, with the improved footwork I saw, at least from videos that were, you know, that were put online. I, I think, I think you can see an increase in his ability to create on things like slams. Like I don't think he's ever going to be running like double moves or pivot and whip routes or anything that requires like, um, like really good uh, lateral agility. But, but I, but I, I, th- I think, I think that if you give him something where he can work an immediate release and then and then do a sharp cut like on, a, again, like a slant or something like that, I, th- I, th- I think he can still be pretty beneficial for this
1: offense. Okay, and we know the Seahawks love to run the football. Will he be a strength in the run game? We don't, I mean, I'm not going to sit and act like I know a lot about his run-blocking skills, but you look at his stature, you would think, oh, he can put a few corners, DBs on their butts. Is that something the Seahawks might try to use him for as well so that's that's
2: the hope and that's but man, man when, I, when i watch this film I'll, i'm going to be straight up and say uh, that was the most disappointing part of his game to me was that he just didn't seem like he wanted to do that mm. like i thought he would want to, i thought he would relish the opportunity to just completely annihilate um, like a quarterback that's you know four inches and 30 yards 30 pounds smaller but it's he didn't seem as willing just to do that. He, he at times he just seemed disinterested. He didn't seem like he wanted to really get his hands on it and drive. Like I felt like the times that he did drive, he had the potential. But other times he just let his guy get back in the play, and he just didn't
1: play with. Like it's at most of the time they ran fade routes and go routes on
2: the outside to basically pull defenders out of the way. And I feel like until he proves to me that he, you know, frankly, frankly, but gives a crap about. Uh, about run blocking, I mean, I'm going to do the same thing. Wow. So I mean, it's they may the Seahawks may see some, see something different, and they may be able to like knock that out of them. But it's in college, he was he was not a good run blocker, and it's and that's just a fact. With this film, it's just it's just a fact of who like what I saw from him during that time. But he has he has the potential based on his size. It all depends on how much the Seahawks can I guess beat it
1: into him to, to do it. <laughs> I mean, that's funny you mentioned that because. That was Mike and I were talking prior to getting on about the about bringing in Jimmy Graham and how great of a pass catcher he was, but he doesn't block. That's not a part yeah. of his game. And now you mentioned him with DK. Yeah, he's big stature, big guy, but his weakness might be the fact that he might have he not he's not he's not great at run blocking, and that's what Seahawks do in their offense. They run the ball sixty percent of the time, and then other. 40 yeah. is passing and that's 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 a that's a flag i guess in that situation yeah and then, and
2: to add to that the, the the main difference i see in the jimmy graham and dk metcalf scenario is that <clears throat> because of alignment because metcalf will be mainly playing as a split end or x receiver um which usually be on the opposite side of the tight end um it's there's a good chance that he'll just be His run blocking will just not be as important as what Jimmy Graham's was when he was lining up tight to the line of scrimmage, or even in line, um, where you have someone like you know you have like your Will Disley's who you know who actually care about run blocking. It's just as an outside wide receiver, especially especially as a split end, it's to to me yes it was disappointing not to see it, but I'm 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 I guess I will note that it's just not
1: as important as what Jimmy Graham should have done. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, lastly, with DK, after watching his film, writing the piece on the Athletic, what are your expectations for him and his rookie debut for 2019 season for the 2019 season? That's a great question.
2: Um, I, I'm I'm putting him around somewhere around 30 catches and 500 yards. Like I- something like something where he's he's just gonna randomly do a two catch EDR game. <laughs> and then the
1: next, the next three games, he's going to have 20 total yards, and it's it's going to be one of those situations where it all depends on how much the defense respects him and just how lucky the the, the Seahawks will get with a perfectly placed ball on him actually making the catch. Well, the good news is they have Rush doing that. That perfectly placed ball might come into play a lot. Mm-hmm. Yes, DK, he just needs to catch the ball. <laughs> it's easy. It's easy to salivate over that that deep ball.
2: And, and I, I feel like in order for him to make up the going from that 500-yard season up to 1,000 yards, it's it's all the other usages, it's all the other routes and stuff that he has to perfect before you can kind of fully get him involved in that. Year two, year three, I'm, I'm going to hopefully, after we see year one, obviously, I, I'm, I'm hoping to up that ante up to
0: 1,000 by that
1: point. Or nice. So. Okay.
0: Wow, you get 1,000 yards out of a second year, dude. That'd be, that'd be all right. That'd be, that'd be sick. I'd love that. Well, uh, one more thing on DK I just thought about. Chris mentioned he's got to catch the ball. You watched a lot of the film. Are, are the drops that he had something that uh, people should be concerned about? Yes, very much <laughs> <laughs> Without hesitation. 10.3%
2: uh, or 10%, somewhere around that number. It's below average. The number you're looking for in college was somewhere around 7 or 8%. Uh, and that, and it's and the thing is though, is that when when you have so many, you have such limited targets just overall in, in college, at least for him, he only had like something like forty targets in his final season. Uh, I mean, like one drop obviously adds a, a high percentage to your, um, to, to basically each drop adds a higher incremental percentage. And the thing is that it's to me it was concentration based. It was it was something that was. You know, if it's slightly outside his frame and he had to adjust it, he wasn't fully concentrating on it, it just hit his hands and fell to the ground. And it's and that's just something that again, it's it's along with run blocking, it's it kinda comes down to how interested are you in this in the full process of look, I'm the only thing I care about is catching the ball. And to me it doesn't matter what you do after after the catch ball, it's important. I would, to me the most important thing is catching the ball. So you better catch
1: that ball. Well, We can only hope that he catches the ball. (laughs) Not much else we can say there. I do want to touch on the defensive side, looking at the Seahawks' first-round pick and LJ Collier. After reading your breakdown on The Athletic, I wanted to hear also—I'm sure the people listening also want to hear your thoughts on it. Based on that breakdown, what are your expectations for LJ? I mean, you did mention he has good, violent hands, but there are some question marks. What are what are you looking for for him to do this season for the Seahawks defensively, and could he possibly even fill that role that Frank was doing for the past few seasons in Seattle? Yeah, so a uh, great
2: question. Um, the thing with L.J. Collier is that he's not a Frank Clark replacement, and that's kind of it's kind of funny because it's like
1: what you trade the twenty nine, you get a twenty ninth pick for Frank Clark, and you expect you get a, you draft an edge rusher and you expect to get another, another Frank Clark.
2: Um, but th- that's the thing is that LJ Collier is a direct replacement for Michael Bennett. And that's, and that's a totally different role. It's the Leo versus the five tech. And, and if you look at the Seahawks um, edge defenders in their roles, the five tech is more of a he, he can be more of a two gapping. He can be um, just lining up um, basically in order to control his side of the field, um, mainly as a run defender to hold to seal that edge and then and then be able to disengage and get in the backfield. And LJ Collier, I mean, he projects perfectly for that role. It's it's I, I wouldn't use him that frequently as a Leo, mainly because I just don't think he has the athleticism to do it. But as as a five tech, I mean that, that role's been open for two years now, with nobody in sight that's has played it played it well remotely at all. And I th- I, th- I think LJ Collier is day one starter in that role. And I, I expect him to to seal the edge, because he's can he can definitely do that. And, and
1: I expect a little bit of pass rush in the 6-7 to seven sack range. Okay, not bad. You're more so leaning to maybe him being a run-stuffer. Is that what I'm hearing, potentially?
2: Run-stuffing edge defense on first and second downs with potential as a interior mover to that three-tech spot that Michael Bennett did on third downs, um, along with just um, using his strength and violent hands to occasionally win and get a hit or pressure, hopefully a sack.
1: Yeah, I was thinking that, too. I, I, I like... I like the breakdown you did and I was thinking, yeah, he's probably going to end up trying to be that run stuffer. You the Seahawks want to make sure they stop the run game. He is going to play a huge role in that. Thank you. Uh so, yeah. some, something I'm I'm
0: curious about uh on on LJ that uh just because he's a rookie and Pete Carroll has mentioned how difficult uh that that position is. Do you do you see him having the skills to like be like impactful at the things you saw him be good at in college, you know? Can he do those same things you think as a rookie, knowing how difficult it can be for rookie DEs to like jump off the page right away.
2: Yeah, I mean it's a good question. I think I think more so in the run defense than pass rush. He's going to be an impact. I think I think day one he'll be at least an average run defender in the NFL. And while that may not seem like a great thing, especially with how much people hate running the ball nowadays, like it's 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 just the fact of how how long it takes to develop and the fact that you know like you don't. You rarely get the Khalil Max or the Von Millers. Were day one, they're elite. You know, you just it's it's rare, and it's you can't expect that. So, so what what I expect is, what I hope for is average run defense at this position because he's he's clearly smart enough. He clearly has good enough hands. He clearly hasn't clearly knows how to use his length to hold the edge. And I think starting day one, is he's he's not going to be. I don't think he's going to be an average pass rusher. I think he might be a little bit below that. But that's that's a part of the development. It's about adapting to the game and the speed, and it's about realizing that the offensive linemen you're facing aren't you know Big Twelve bad offensive line. <laughs> <laughs> and and when you do that, it's you know that every everybody says the going from year one to year two is the biggest change because it's you feel like you finally get you can actually work. You're you're not a college kid playing in the NFL. You're an NFL professional who understands the game now and can actually develop.
0: I don't remember where you had uh, L.J. kind of slotted prior to the drafts. So I think you may have had him a little lower than where the Seahawks took him. But did you did you like the pick though, that, taking him at twenty nine? Um. So I I had him as a mid
2: second, somewhere in that mid second range, mid to late second. And it's obviously a, a round earlier is is it's it's not as uh, it's, it's it's not the most highly sought after pick or highly, or highly graded pick I'll ever give. But at, but at the same time, I mean, it's he plays a defined role. I like him a lot as a player. He's very aware. He's always aware of the situation, and it's it, it blew me away at times. Like it just how much he felt. I felt like he understood just the game and what was going on in the field, and that was something that from college players I rarely see that. And it's and to me that's an instant plus one on your abilities. Um, but again, like the downsides are there. It's not, he's not an elite athlete. He's already 23. He's turning 24 in September or something like that. And it's 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 the upside is capped, so therefore I can't get him a first rounder. But I like, but again, it's I like him as a player. I think in five years we're going to be like, well, they spent a the first. He's still a solid player. I mean, solid but not spectacular. And I, I think I think he's
0: like I, I he's it's probably worth it, especially if he's a solid player in five years. Yeah, the th- that's the tough thing about the draft because of how much, like, a first-round pick costs versus, like, a fifth-round pick. The expectation just so different. Like, you're happy if a fifth-round guy makes a team where it's like yep. your first-round pick's like, hey, I need you to make the Pro Bowl here pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm with you. Yeah, that's, that, that's tough on those kids. But, hey, man, you got to produce. You are a professional. Uh, now, the the Doug news was probably the biggest news of the offseason. One of the most recent things was that the Seahawks signed Ziggy Anse, you know Ezekiel Onsa. I got to figure out what he prefers to be, to be called uh, the first time we get him in the building here. But a lot of people are excited about that move. It kind of, like, shores up the pass rush, at least, you know, uh, from the optics of it, you know. So you got, you know, you draft LJ. Now you go get a veteran and, and Ziggy. Only pay him five and a half, uh, guaranteed, with a bunch of incentives because he's right. because he's hurt. You know, first off, do you do you like? I know you've studied his film. Probably have a film study on him uh, coming out here pretty soon, real soon, actually. Uh, just them signing him. Do you like that move?
2: Yeah. So um, yeah, I guess as you mentioned, um, I'm, my next film room will be on Ezekiel Um I'm hoping by like Tuesday or Wednesday that'll be out, but we'll see. Um, but as after watching him for the past couple of days and I, I went through all of his 2018 film and a little bit of his 2017 film um and I have to say I like I like the signing especially with that upside with the incentives I mean it's the injuries scare me like it's the injuries are terrifying in the sense that uh, if they miss him for a month I mean it's I'm hoping that's where the incentive dollars come in is that it's a if, if he's not playing in four games then he doesn't get money for those four games you know something where it's set up that the Seahawks are protected but also giving him the upside that if he comes back in day one he's dominant then he, then he deserves all that cash um, so from my perspective I like him a lot I think as we kind of discussed a Frank Clark replacement I think Anza is the closest we're going to get and it's in the way I feel about that is that last year with Frank Clark, Frank Clark was actually limited in his downs in terms of when they used him. Um, something that I noticed was that on first and 10, Frank Clark wasn't on the field very often. It was he was maybe on the field for 20% of snaps. And it's not that Frank Clark is bad. It's that other people are not good at pass rushing that they need him to focus on pass rushing.
0: And I I see the same thing again. I think it's Anza will be a a 2nd and 10, a 3rd and 10, a 3rd down um, rusher, and I don't see him
2: heavily used on 1st down, mainly because it just, just the optics of, you know, a 50%, if teams are 50% running, 50%, 50% passing, I'm willing to sacrifice a fluid pass rush on 1st down to get a better advantage on 2nd and 3rd to save him and save his energy, um, especially for a guy like Anza who plays with so much violence and so much...
0: Uh, strength and speed and power and just I I, I want to save his abilities for uh, other downs. You know, Ziggy before he got hurt, you know, he was playing under the franchise tag you know, in 20, 2018 and he was I would think in line to be like one of those guys like Frank, like, like Demarcus Lawrence, you know, maybe even like a clowny who was going to get, you know, paid this offseason. Obviously the, the shoulder injury kind of just all knocked at out of whack but let's assume you know he's healthy he's back mid-august like uh, reportedly he's supposed to be we get a 100 percent healthy ziggy onsa you know i consider him kind of on that level with those guys that i just mentioned including frank or do you see that on tape like a healthy ziggy is probably just as, as good as like a frank or, or a tank lawrence in dallas
2: right um i think um out of those three players um i think i think my honest order would be uh lawrence clark and then onsa um, but again, I don't, I don't see it being, I don't see it, they're, they're that, they're being that much difference. Like, it's, to me, it's like grading like a 90, an 80, an 88. So it's, I have a preference, but to me, you get one of those three guys and you're automatically happy. Um, in, in terms of Anza's overall pass rushing ability, the thing that kind of, kind of gets to me about Anza is that it's so feast or famine. It's, it's kind of hard to tell, like, certain games like, especially, like, if you watch, like, the Bears game. Um, I think it was, like, the Bears game that I watched that was, or Vikings game, when he came back. He just started to light up, like, different, just different games before he re- got re-injured. And it was, but then you watch, like, the Rams game, um, which was, I think it was week 13, the Bears played the Rams. And he looked awful. So, it's, you, you get, like, a, you get such a feast and famine aspect. And and, and the thing with, like, the elite pass rushers, the Von the Vaughn Millers, Khalil Max, those those guys. I mean, it's, it's less... Less famine and just more. Uh,
1: a bad game is is an average pass rush day versus uh, in, a, in an elite day is an
2: elite day. You know, it's but Anza is higher, higher, good, high ceiling, poor floor. Um, so I guess I guess to kind of wrap that up, it's it's pretty to me. It kind of comes down to whether or not Anza can actually produce with the opportunities and and because it's again, it, it does come in those bursts it's, and. 2017 he had four games of three sacks and it's the rest of the games were not many pressures not many hits it, it just it, it was very kind of like what's going on in these other games that made him so good in these, these specific instances
0: that's a good point yeah i was looking at that too and i had to write about him thank you it was let's shout out pro football reference here real quick <laughs> uh yeah they came came back against minnesota after being hurt yeah real real active and then yeah that next game no qb hits at all like so yeah that's just the very next week so yeah that is, it sounds a little bit like a what we we're kind of talking about earlier with dk like a, some days there's going to be like a bunch of home runs and some days uh, yeah there there may not be is that kind of that a, yeah. a good analogy there yeah, exactly. And that's and, and,
2: and the, when I and when I look at it from this perspective is that you're only paying him thirteen and a half million dollars max if he crushes it. And and so and so the way I think that the Seahawks are perfectly protected that this is a, a great deal is that if you're you know, if they ended up if he plays say like a B plus season, uh let's say they end up only paying him eleven million dollars, then I mean you're looking at eleven million dollars for him, you're looking at about two and a half million or two point eight for LJ Collier. And you still have another seven million or eight million left over for that you would have signed on Frank Clark, and it's and it's. Well, well, I like Frank Clark a lot. Um, it's, I mean, it's, if, if you're gonna have to rebuild the team, I mean, I think I think they made the right choice in that aspect.
0: Look at John Snyder getting it done, man. He should. He makes a lot of money. He should he make Is it, it <laughs> <laughs> making making good moves like this. I like the Ziggy move. I know. I think
1: Chris, you're a fan of it too, right? I just want to stay healthy. <laughs> I'm a fan yeah. of it. Just please be healthy. That'd be fun yeah. to see a healthy guy go out there and get 10 sacks. That'd be good. That'd be great.
0: Amazing. Yeah, man. They need they need some help. They really. They really do. I like the I like the Ziggy move too. I'm gonna just call him Ziggy. I don't know which one he prefers, but I like the word Ziggy. Yeah.
1: I think everyone calls him Ziggy. I think his name is Ezekiel. But people just call him Ziggy. Just like they might call you Dugar. Or they might call Sam Gold. Oh, yeah. Sam, do people call you Gold? Uh, not very often. <laughs> <laughs> well, that backfired. Yeah. No, that was... <laughs> I kind of
2: have to. Uh, I do the mixture between the Samuel and the Sam. Like I think in in person, I, I I'm Sam. My name is Sam, but like in all my like all my writing stuff, I do Samuel, and it's like I still have to do like a double take. I'm like Daniel. Like are you are you are you my dad? Like.
0: <laughs> <laughs> What's this? And then I, then I realized like a moment
2: later, I'm like, wait, when when, when did I ever say that my name is Sam? Daniel? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I I'm, I apologize. I've been calling you Sam. Hopefully, that's. Hopefully yeah, that's yeah you're good. Uh, well, <laughs> I will not call you Gold. <laughs> we got Goldie Locks sometimes in high school. So, yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's that's. There's a backstory there, but we'll <laughs> we'll leave, we'll leave that one alone. Well, Sam, we thank you so much for for hopping on the show with us. I love having you on. I love having uh, Ben Baldwin, another contributor for the Athletic, on between the film and the breaking down the numbers. You guys paint really good, complete. Pictures of guys, Uh, if you guys haven't uh, seen or read Sam's uh, breakdown of like DK Metcalf is really good, goes really into good detail about what DK is good at, where he can improve at, and what he's not so good at. Same thing with LJ, it's like hey, here's what he's good at, here's what he can improve at, and here's what he struggles with. Like that paints that whole picture, appreciate those uh, from you Sam, and uh, you got the Ziggy one uh coming out soon if you're listening right now please go check that out it's gonna be dope i promise and this is without ever seeing it <laughs> i'm just really confident uh in sam's
1: work so yeah, we thank you for uh, hopping on the show with us of course glad to be on thanks for having me before we let you go sam is there anything you'd like to say before we let you get out of here uh let's see um <sighs> i know mike did a lot of promoting <laughs> <laughs> sorry oh yeah um yeah sorry uh yeah so i mean you can follow me on twitter at samuel r gold um and then you can also check me out on youtube too it's samuel gold there we go oh
0: sam also has a blue check there we go yeah, He's easy to find by by the way man we pre- yeah gotta gotta get the blue checks uh out there now. You guys listening to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast. Again, my name is Michael Sean Dugar. I got my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Follow me on Twitter as well. Chris, let them know your stuff one more
1: time. You can follow me on Twitter at C K I D D 206. And that's kid
0: 206 And make sure you guys spread the love. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. Check us out on iTunes. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast there. Uh, again, thanks to our guest Sam for joining us. Uh, with that said, we are out.